BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to Who Won the Week? I'm Jackie Jennings and this is Sci-Fi Wire's weekly podcast where we bring you celebrity news, interviews, just all kinds of good stuff. Conversations. Sometimes it's conversations with our staff members who are working on cool projects that are occasionally top secret, but we will tell you all about here on the podcast. And today, I think we're going to hit, you know, I think we're going to hit all of those um, qualifications. I think we're going to hit all of them because this week we have a great episode. We have my friend and fellow Sci-Fi Wire host, Angelique Rocher. She is here talking all about Brave New World, the new original series for Peacock, which is NBC Universal's new streaming platform. She's also the host of the official Brave New World podcast called Brave New Pod, which is dropping July 20th. Everyone should check it out. And she's had an incredible opportunity to speak with the uh, showrunner of Brave New World, a bunch of the stars, and she's going to give us a little bit of an inside look at the making of the show and also her thoughts on the adaptation of the classic novel. But first, before we get to Angelique, Alexis and I are going to be breaking down all of the headlines from this week in Genre News. Alexis, hello. Hey, 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 Jackie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? No, I, I'm well. Superman does good. I do well. Very well. good. Your English teacher would be proud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How are things? It's a busy week for us. Yeah, it is. It is a busy week. Obviously with Peacock, like all, because we're, uh, spoiler, sci-fi is an NBC Universal property. So I don't know if that's a spoiler, just common information. But yeah, Peacock launched. There's tons of stuff to watch. And there's uh, a whole... A whole bunch of news. And I think you made this point. It's also sort of like the calm before the San Diego Comic-Con uh, storm, it feels like. Like we're getting trickles. We're getting the first raindrops of what will be Hurricane SDCC at home. And of course, we're all really curious how that's going to shape up this year with SDCC going virtual. But hey, just on that front, just a little bit earlier, Disney announced that there was going to be a panel for the new mutants. Breaking. Indeed. We haven't even talked about that. Cool. The New Mutants. Now, that has been how long? Years, right? Time is a construct, Jackie. Time is a construct. <laughs> it's both a flat circle and a never-ending line. <laughs> and with the New Mutants, you know, any that's all up in the air. But that's one of my favorite uh, performers, Maisie Williams, is in New Mutants. So I'm very excited on a personal fan level. I love Anya Taylor-Joy. I think she's amazing. And so yeah, really curious to see. We are invested. We just want to see this finally see the light of day. Yeah, this and the Snyder Cut. <laughs> New Mutant Snyder Cut. And then we can say we're all caught up on stuff we've been promised by major studios. There we go. Oh, uh, that's very cool. That's very breaking. That wasn't even something. Guys, here's a peek behind the curtain. Before we start, Alexis and I talk about the topics that we want to cover. And that just happened. So 
We're thinking on our feet. We're improvising here. We are, man. All of this, all the moving targets. So you just yeah. got to roll with the punches. Yeah. So some big San Diego Comic-Con news already and hasn't even uh, started. And like we said, Peacock launched. Obviously, that's very exciting for us being a part of the NBC Universal family and also just fans who are excited to see some of the uh, shows that are both original and also that have been acquired by Peacock. The, like we said, Brave New World, which Angelique will be here to talk about, but there's tons of stuff for fans to binge. So everyone should check it out, Peacock TV. Yeah, really exciting. I mean, you know, there's a lot of conversation about just how many more streaming services fans can take because there's just so much content out there. And I was really excited to see this when it launched. You know, I was browsing through it yesterday and it's just so robust. I mean, of course, you've got the original programming like Brave New World. But if you look at the actual library, the archive of stuff that is here in Peacock, it's pretty deep. I mean, you've got the Matrix films, you've got Jurassic Park, Jurassic World. So I think uh, there's a lot that this can offer. And what I'm really interested in here, Jackie, is that there's a tier of the service that is free. So you can actually just hop on and watch, you know, a couple of free offerings with ads, of course. And if, you've, if you'd like to elevate that experience, you can opt for the premium tier, which is a paid tier. But I think of all the streaming services, you know, it's interesting that there is a free component to this, which I think distinguishes this from, from everyone else out there. I'll take, you know what, this is probably a, con not controversial opinion, but I'll take ads. I don't mind ads. Me neither. I, it, I actually like having ads there. You know, my Hulu subscription actually has the ads in it. I kind of like the idea of sort of taking a break while watching some of this episodic TV stuff yeah. to see the ads. I don't know. This sounds like something <laughs> being like, you know what I love? Ads, actually. I swear no one asked us to say that. <laughs> I just genuinely am like, it's fine. During some shows, it's annoying. Like shows that were not... Here's what I think the differentiator is. And then we can truly move on from this tangent. But shows that were originally designed to have ad breaks. So if you're watching, for example, uh, you're watching old Battlestar Galactica episodes, which are available on Peacock, shout out, but again, was not told to say this. Then it feels like, oh, there's a natural break. There's a pause. There's an act structure. If I'm watching, say, Watchmen on HBO, a show that was not designed to have pauses and these these sort of like cl mini cliffhanger act breaks then it's very annoying when a streaming service just sort of inserts them and you know what peacock take that as a note it's very annoying when that happens. <laughs> i'm with sure. you there a hundred percent just as yeah. long as the actual experience isn't doesn't feel too choppy i'm totally on board with yeah. that i don't know i just find ads kind of comforting you know every now Same. and then and i was chatting with a friend and we were just saying how you know, it's kind of like reassuring sometimes just to have, you know, ads playing in the background every now and, and then when you're watching something. Yeah. yeah. I love a good pharmaceutical ad that's like, you may die <laughs> if you take this. <laughs> but, you know. You hey, may... but that's just me. That's just you. So. Yeah, yeah. Love a pharmaceutical ad. Yeah. Love. Here's what I love. Ads in big pharma. Uh, we also, pre-San Diego Comic-Con, Got some interesting first looks and news dropping about new shows, new properties. We could just start with The Bad Batch, right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's huge news. New Star Wars show. Yeah, well, so this is great. So this is a Clone Wars sequel that is coming out. It's going to air on Disney Plus 
And fans so love the fact that it's executive produced by Dave Filoni. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really interesting here because I think what we're looking at right now is trying to figure out how is Lucasfilm and Disney going to fill in the gap for Star Wars for fans without any real movies officially on the horizon yet. I mean, we have yeah. a couple of projects that are in the works, but no actual release dates. So I think everyone is going to be looking to Disney Plus to see how we can fill that vacuum. And it's a really robust set of offerings. You've got The Mandalorian, you've got the Obi-Wan series coming, Cassie and Andor, and now we've got The Bad Batch. Now this one focuses on Clone Force 99. Of course, they're mm-hmm. an experimental bunch of clones, first introduced in Clone Wars with um, all sorts of very special abilities and you know really huge fan following. So I think it was an interesting choice for a spinoff. I'm very excited for Bad Batch. I feel like the show that's getting the least attention is the Cassian Andor uh, show, which I am sort of hoping. I don't know if there's anything to base this on, but I'm hoping that there's some news out of San Diego Comic-Con about it, just because I love that character. I love Diego Luna. I love Rogue One. I think it's the best Star Wars movie. At me, at Oh Hi Jackie on all social media. I'll go to bat for Rogue One. Rogue One was amazing. I loved Rogue One. I mean, it shot up almost to the top there for me really quickly. Yeah, we're on the I, I, I we're on the same page about Rogue One. Uh, um, but Bad Batch sounds really interesting, and like you said, Dave Filoni, who at this point has got to be one of the hardest working people in all of Hollywood. I mean, he is he's is it fair? Would you think it's fair to say he's almost? Not single, certainly not single-handedly, but he is kind of the heart of a lot of Star Wars, if not the whole sort of Star Wars universe at this point. Oh, yeah, very, very much so. Yeah. Um, So it's cool to see that he's going to be involved. One does wonder about his schedule. Does he have time? Is he going to be able to devote all of his energy to Bad Batch? I don't know, Dave. (laughs) I'm sure he's a wonderful assistant. You know, let's not forget, of course, that The Mandalorian is is all set for season three as well. So, you know, there's a lot of things coming up here. But, you know, he's just first and foremost, just a super fan. You know, when anytime you have that kind of passion, that kind of just sort of depth of knowledge for the franchise, that's always good news for fans. Yeah, I think it's I think there's a lot to be excited about. Um, I'm also excited to see what. Because it does feel like Star Wars uh, has sort of taken a page out of the Marvel playbook. And with these, um, the Disney Plus shows, they're delving more into genre. Like Mandalorian was for sure a Western. Uh, Bad Batch, I don't know. Like, could that be? And by Marvel, I mean the way they've talked about all of this, like Avengers spinoff properties being very much like genre uh, pieces. I wonder, do we know anything about like what the tone of Bad Batch will be? It's It sounds like a comedy. Well, if you look at how the Bad Batch is really just set up, I mean, this sort of lays itself out to be almost like a mercenary movie, if you think about it. I'm sure we'll get more news um, soon, if not out of San Diego Comic-Con soon, about that show. But we also got Lost Boys. There's, we do. Uh, yeah. Well, so some really exciting news on that. So... I am a huge Lost Boys fan. I remember watching it back in the 80s. You know, it's sort of this franchise that just has always been there. But it's set to become a TV show on the CW. And we at Sci-Fi Wire were able to speak with one of the songwriters involved in that show. 
Jeep Tom Mack, who tipped us off to some details about the upcoming Lost Boys musical, which I think is an interesting twist on the story over there, and some really plum details in that the musical is nearly done, and it was actually originally slated to be released in late 2021, but because of COVID, now that's going to arrive in 2022, and You know, just some interesting nuggets going on here. You know, we find out that the story is going to focus on Kiefer Sutherland's character, David, and that backstory, you know, how he started out, how he became a vampire, and just follow that trajectory into what eventually led to the movie. Interesting. Yeah, musical. That feel, I I don't know. Do you have an initial reaction to, to that? Uh, so I'm just really curious to see how they pull it off because it has so many fantastical elements that could translate really well to the stage. Yeah. I think the idea here is just to see how the vision comes together and how they're able to pull it off and also to remain true to the source material. Because like I said, the story is really rich and there are just a lot of holes that we do not know what went on. We just get these this young pack of vampires uh, sort of all aged and fully formed, but we're not quite sure how they got there. So I think this could be interesting. What I'm interested in is to see how they're able to tie this into the actual TV show. And we did get Mm -hmm. hints that that was something that was certainly being discussed, if not set in stone. And I think there's just a lot of potential there. You know, how can the musical feed the show, so to speak, and vice versa? Yeah, interesting. Two two sort of like funky on the outskirts of not on the outskirts of major properties, but yeah, like between Bad Batch and Lost Boys, they feel like two interesting sort of diversions or directions uh, for two franchises that people really know and love. I agree. Which Plus, I'm here for. I mean. Who knows? Maybe the time is right for sort of the vampires to have a renaissance again. You know, I mean, I know there was V Wars on on Netflix, which didn't quite do too well. It was canceled. But, you know, aside from Lost Boys, and again, we're talking about franchises here with just a lot of love and passion behind them. You've also got the Vampire Chronicles that is in the works at AMC from Anne Rice. You know, and so maybe it's time for vampires to have a moment again and, you know, to have have uh, creators do them justice. They are eternal. So why not? Pop, <laughs> they, pop back indeed up, they you know? are. Yeah. So those are, those are sort of the big headlines. There were, however, as always, small headlines <laughs> that caught our uh, respective eyes. Was there, was there anything uh, this week, Alexis, that maybe like flew under the radar a little bit, but you picked up on and were very excited about? Oh, hell, so this did not fly under the radar, but I'm just totally geeking out about it. Okay. So Lego has announced that it's going to release a Nintendo, uh, an NES set, which is just absolutely bonkers. (laughs) I mean, you've got the whole Nintendo Entertainment System thing going on here. It's just amazing. And it comes with its own TV and it's just like old school vintage TV with a screen with uh, Mario on it. And you can actually sort of turn like a little knob on the side and you'll actually see the game start to cycle through the TV. And That's you can crazy. actually play it. It is badass. 
You've got the console over there with cartridges that you can pop in. And of course, don't forget to blow the cartridges so that it doesn't get any dust. And so it'll actually be able to work, you know, so lots of really cool old school vintage stuff going on here. Of course, as everyone knows, I am a huge, huge, huge Lego lover. I can't wait to build the set. It actually ties in really well to another line that Lego's got, which is their um, Mario Nintendo set, which includes a Bluetooth-enabled Mario. And you can actually create your... Absolutely, yeah. It creates all sorts of sounds and everything. But the whole idea of that other line of um, Mario sets is for you to be able to create your own um, Super Mario Brothers levels to play kind of analog style with your own Lego Mario, whom you've built. You've got mushrooms, Koopas, everything. So, um, you know, Lego's really just going all out, going all in on the nostalgia. And I yeah. am going to be there to get these sets because, you know, I it's just amazing. Do you, so as a Lego lover, I, I don't know the answer to this, which is why I'm asking, uh, I know that people, when you do puzzles, you can like, you like glue. That's, is that like frowned upon when you're, I feel like I've heard that, that <gasps> gluing. No, you did not you say don't, right? to glue your Lego sets. That's what I thought. That's what I thought, that it was like a huge no-no to glue any part of your Lego set together. Well, if you'll remember, actually, that was a big theme, a big plot point in the Lego movie with uh, Will Ferrell's character. He was wielding what was called the Kragle, which is really crazy glue. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Hey, but I I will admit, as a kid, I did glue my Legos, but (gasps) I used like Elmer's glue. So you could sort of like pull them apart. Yeah. Because I remember they just kept on falling down and my little siblings kept on breaking them. So I was like, I'm going to glue this. And the moment that I did it, Oh my God, I just regretted it. I actually spent like the next week trying to sort of scrape out all the glue from inside. Elmer's glue makes things less adhesive, if that's possible, because it makes it like uh, more plastic. Oh, okay. What are you geeking out over this week? I am super into uh, reading fantasy series. And one of my favorite um, authors, Brandon Sanderson, announced that he finished the final draft on the next book in the uh, Stormlight Archives. Oh, amazing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so he's been using his quarantine time well. It's coming out November. I think he said November of this year, which seems very fast. But if he just finished the final draft, I guess it's not crazy. Like, how long could it take to print a book a day? You know, (laughs) so he must be done. Um, But his books, I don't know if you're if you've ever they're they're like, I'm holding up my hands very far apart. They're very, very thick. So I read them on my Kindle. um, Because back when taking public transit was a thing, it was really hard to take them on trains. So I'm super excited to pre-order it, download on my Kindle the day it's out. But yep, that was my big news of the week. And as always, when an author is like, I finished a book, I sort of turn my eye toward George R. R. Martin. I'm like, dude, please. (laughs) I know it's like, I mean, I say it lovingly. Like he owes we us, all do. We the all man really owes do. nobody anything. But whenever, whenever another author finishes something, I'm like, mm, George, you have had years. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's what I was very excited about. Um, so it's like news that there will be news, which is the best kind of news. Um, and of course, the news that we don't want to talk about because it's uh, 
we wish it weren't true, um, is that sadly earlier this week, Grant Imahara passed away, who was uh, beloved by fans of Mythbusters and and all of his work. It's just, uh, yeah, really, I, I picked up my phone on Tuesday morning and I couldn't believe it. I know that's cliche, um, but yeah, just, just an incredibly uh, sad, sad event and he was such a beloved I, I never personally got to work directly with him but from hearing from colleagues who did it was just the kindest uh person that they they'd encountered in this business um yeah it's such a terrible loss for the community i mean such a brilliant mind over there you know he was a roboticist over at Lucasfilm and just was involved in so many franchises, including Star Wars. I believe he also worked on The Matrix, but just like you said, just such a beloved person and just so much affection for him out there. What a great loss. And really our hearts go out to his family and friends and loved ones. Yeah, it's hard not to, everything that comes to mind just always feels like a cliche when someone who's so beloved passes uh, passes away and so suddenly and so young. Uh, it just really sucks. Yeah. His uh, legacy is there though. I mean, every time you see R2D2, for example, from the Phantom Menace, you know, maybe you'll see a little piece of him in that and that'll live on, you know, that'll live to continue to bring joy to all the fans who loved him and who will always continue to love his work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is the news for the week. Hate to leave it on kind of a, you know, sad note, but that's everything. (laughs) So we'll be back next Friday talking about the headlines. And next Friday, we'll actually be talking about San Diego Comic-Con. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We are back, and I am joined now by my fellow Sci-Fi Wire co-host and the host of the upcoming podcast, A Brave New Pod, all about the new show, Brave New World, available on Peacock now, Anjali Crochet. I am here with Anjali, and by here, I mean in my parents' basement. (laughs) With Anjali Crochet, who you you know from sci-fi, but you're going to get to Reno as the host of the podcast, A Brave New Pod, which is all about the new Peacock series, Brave New World. Anjalique, you've watched the show. Yes. I have multiple times watched the show and read the book and okay. watched the 1980 version and the 1998 version. I would say that I might have you know, entered New London as my new passport uh, application goes in. So yeah, you might be the world's foremost expert on all things Brave New World, but we're here to talk about the Peacock, For I would say primarily here to talk about the Peacock adaptation, which dropped with Peacock 
on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So some of our listeners have probably had a chance to binge all nine, I believe, episodes. Mm -hmm. Some are in the middle and some are about to start their journey. So my first question for you, I mean, Brave New World is a book I'm familiar with from reading it in high school and again in college. Is it close to the book or is it uh, an unfaithful adaptation starring Diane Lane? <laughs> um, Do you remember the movie Unfaithful? <laughs> wow, Diane Lane. I'm glad you didn't say Demi Moore because Demi Moore actually is in the show. <gasps> oh, she is? Yeah, Demi Moore is in the show. I did not know that. Uh, Demi Moore plays Linda. For those of you who are familiar with the source material, you'd be like, oh, um, yeah, she, what? she, she plays cool. uh, not to do too many spoilers. She plays a very essential role uh, in in kind of the the start of the uh, of the background of Brave New World, which is which is kind of cool. And um, I will oh. say, so faithful is kind of um, it's a loose term because I think when you're dealing with an adaptation that's modernizing this idea of utopia, like you have to remember that Brave New World was written in 1932. This is like pre-World War II, post the quote unquote at the time, war to end all wars um, situation where technology is booming, but a very different technology, right? Like you've got like the radio bringing people together and industrialization and Ford doing the assembly line like yeah. those are things that you for those who are very familiar with the book and they understand like the Model T and this idea about assembly lines and making things accessible and so that this this consumer based economy that we're start starting building out at the time in 1932 that Aldous Huxley is kind of writing about and satirizing um, crossed with this idea of religion and upper crust society and and family structures. Um, when you think about that and you think about the fact that this is now 2020, um, I think it is faithful to the core themes of the book, but there's some uniqueness and there's some derivation away in its own way. Like this Brave New World is its own story that is rooted in some very good source material. I'm just trying not cool. to give spoilers. I mean, I know it's impossible. <laughs> it's so hard. Well, I was going to say, maybe we should give for anyone who's totally unfamiliar with the source material. You somehow did have gone your entire life without reading the book, which you should rectify because it's a very good book. The The basic plot. I mean, I yeah. remember the the plot. We're in New London, like you said. It's this kind of utopian slash, but actually dystopian uh future which is a big argument here because the showrunner yeah. will tell you this is very clearly a utopia and this was a big thing for book lovers orwell versus huxley and and how the manifestation of utopia or dystopia or what it looks like or how it comes about was actually like a big deal at the time when you think about 1984 versus brave new yeah. world that was yeah. way nerdy i'm gonna pull back <laughs> Don't pull that. If ever there was a place to be nerdy, Angelique, it's certainly here. It is here. <laughs> yeah. It is here. Um, so the plot, I think, is what we're kind of getting at is this idea of yeah. there's been some great violence, some great war, and out of all of that, the world has decided to have this unified government that has created a utopia where 
There's no privacy, no family, no money, no violence, uh, no monogamy. I want to be very clear that that is a huge theme in this book is promiscuity and everyone is for everybody um, because there's no idea of individuality um, in this. But also there's no natural birth, no family structures, and everyone is basically created within the splicing of a cell genetically um, in a very eugenics type way where everyone is born with their own level, right? You've got alphas, betas, gammas, deltas, epsilons. Don't kill me if I got that out of order. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's the order it goes into. Um, and so you have this hierarchy where the alphas are the thinkers. They kind of control society. You've got the betas who are there for the administrative jobs, but they're a little smarter, but also are kind of there for the alpha's pleasure, which is a whole nother conversation um, because this is a world where there's orgies all the time. And, you know, Wednesday services basically mean servicing on Wednesday. Uh, and then you have <laughs> and then you have the gammas and the epsilons being the lowest of the low, which are the folks who do the hard jobs, um, but also when you think about it, the alphas, and they, they say this in the book, the alphas are one cell, one, like one embryo, one baby, whereas the epsilons, and I, you could correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, those of you who've read the source material, um, it's like 97, they could be spliced 97 times, and then they add in alcohol into the epsilons to subdue. Do so. This also says where Huxley was on like how do you subdue someone's personality? Is you give them alcohol and then give them soma, yeah. which is basically a drug that everyone takes every day to regulate their emotions. Um, and then the epsilons are like split ninety seven times, so they're they're not they're not made to do anything but menial tasks. So that's like the whole plot. So basically, what happens is in this world there is a savage reservation. It's technically based in New Mexico. And it is where people have completely rejected this way of life. Like they're still, you know, old technology, old ways, still believe in religion and monogamy and family structure. And to help kind of regulate all of this, they do send people to the Savage Reservation, particularly alphas, to learn about this. Well, what happens is an alpha goes there, abandons a beta, the beta's pregnant, has a baby. Then we get to our main characters, Bernard, as it is, it is pronounced in New London. Uh, Bernard. But Bernard uh, is yeah, an alpha. For us. Bernard. Bernard, who's not quite right. And, and the rumor is that there was some alcohol that was accidentally injected into his embryo um, when he was a child. But Mustafa Mond, who is the world controller, decides to keep him around. Um, and so Bernard, who's not really fitting in, who's not really as promiscuous as he should be, who's smaller, who's more feeble, like there's this the way he's written, goes to Savage Lands, finds this woman, Linda, who and her kid, who is genetically a New Londoner because he's the she like John the Savage is the product of an alpha and a beta and brings him back to New London. And that is Basically, the rest of the book is what happens when you take someone who is raised in the Savage Reservation, not raised and not conditioned, because 
everyone in New London is conditioned in a very specific way. And then you put this wild card into this utopian society. And they think that they're testing the system, like in their arrogance, they're testing the system. And it just begins to dismantle it. Um, And in there, there's also a beta named Lenina, uh, who becomes the interest of both Bernard and John the Savage. Um, it's a very interesting book, and it, 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 I do think it left a lot to the imagination for this adaptation. Yeah. Because a lot of those things that I just said are true, but they're very, very different. Like, for instance, I do believe that the women characters in the adaptation are much stronger, um, have much more depth and much more complexity than they did in the original source material. And we had a, a really good opportunity to talk with Jessica Brown Finley um, about what that meant to play a stronger, more complex version of Lenina Crown, um, the love interest I just mentioned. Um, and even the the manifestation of Demi Moore's character, Linda, a lot stronger than it was in the Is original more, yeah. source material. I have so many questions, but since we're talking about it, one thing about this adaptation that struck me is the cast. I mean, you just mentioned Hannah John Common, who was in Killjoys, mm-hmm. but also uh, played Ghost in mm. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Harry Lloyd, who is one of my favorite parts of Game of Thrones, I think is, I mean, his character isn't my favorite, but Viserys tar- played. I mean, Viserys, Viserys tar- is not actually a nice person. No, but his portrayal of him is perfectly insane <laughs> is is wonderful <laughs> um so the the cast is phenomenal and it's uh oh it's stacked alden ehrenreich plays who played han solo and solo he plays bernard bernard no he, he plays, plays john he the plays savage. john the savage so ah, that makes sense so harry lloyd also is playing a very another conflicted character harry lloyd's playing bernard he's playing bernard so i and what i love about alden ehrenreich um, I actually was introduced to Alden before Solo. One of my favorite movies, which was also based off of book, um, Beautiful Creatures. Oh, sure. Uh, where he plays another hopeless romantic who is in love with someone he shouldn't be in love with. Like, it's, 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 he, he's very much um, on brand in this adaptation for some of his roles. But I think you do see another side of, not just John the Savage, but Alden's work and his depiction of John the Savage, which after after the third episode, I'm just letting you guys know, uh, throw the book away. For those of you who can't see, Andre just made a, a hand <laughs> j- For those of you who can't see, everybody except me. <laughs> there was a, a hand gesture, a hand gesture, and then throw it away. And it looked, and here, I'll do, I'll do it throw for it you away. so you can see it. And now I'm doing the hand gesture. Boom. Podcasting. <laughs> so the cast is clearly incredible. What, what we were talking about before, some of the themes are, and even at the time, it's not like this has changed radically in 10, 15 years, however long it's been um, since I was in high school reading the book. They're tough to talk about. Like the space that Soma occupies was very different, I think, in Huxley's time, whereas now it it could feel, I think, in some ways, like commentary that even the commentary itself could feel controversial, if that makes sense. And even saying things, obviously, it is social commentary. I wouldn't say it's it's, it's not 
doesn't fall into the space of satire, but calling things like the Savage Lands, like that makes it hard to adapt some of these themes. So I'm just curious how, like, how the show wrestles with all of these really complex, really kind of uh, relevant hot button issues. Yeah, and I think it's a really interesting point, and it's a point that you know I I love the fact. Um, that one of the initial things we did in getting the content for Brave New Pod is that we sat down and had a, a two-hour conversation with David Weiner, who is the showrunner. And one of the things that came out very quickly is this understanding that some of the themes were antiquated. Like, John the Savage is not going to be running around quoting Shakespeare and being chased because that just seems weird to take a 20-something out of the Savage Lands and be like, I'm not going to have sex and I'm going to quote Shakespeare. Okay, that doesn't fit in our world that we're in right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. doesn't make any sense. But also, um, not to do too many spoilers, there is two very unique things about this um, adaptation is that you will learn more about the Savage Lands um, because it's actually a theme park. You're welcome. Um, but also there are more characters within this, the, the Savage Lands, not the Savage Reservation, because I, David even kind of talks about this idea of what does it mean to understand that that isn't, that, that isn't accurate, right? That, that, that there is a larger responsibility of how we adapt this. And what does it mean? And just remember the word dignity. Because I think if there is any theme within this show that really roots it in its in its in its core is this idea of dignity. And what does that mean for the Savage Lands? But also, very interestingly enough, uh, Joseph Morgan plays a character that does not exist in the book. Um, we had a very interesting joke about that uh, with him. Is that he plays a character called C. Jack Sixty, who is an Epsilon. So you actually have an Epsilon in the cast and you will you will be able to follow that conversation and that story, which honestly really shines through a lot in the show is what what was not on the pages of the original source material uh, in 1932. You just said you were able to sit down with David Wiener, the showrunner. You have a lot of pretty uh fascinating guests on the show um on so on the podcast on brave new pod have you gotten a chance to sit down with anyone else tell me about the podcast on so, tell me all the things uh so i have oh, I we're actually, doing such good handwork we're doing such good hand gestures i really wish people could see it no one can see us you know? we're so used to be no being on screen it. together um I know. <laughs> well, I, I, we are going to be, I have sat down and talked to Jessica Brown Finley, who plays Lenina Crown, um, which I think her role, again, is just absolutely amazing and, and so full of autonomy, like just, it, but a, a journey of autonomy, if that makes sense. Um, and, and as a beta plus, like really has a lot and how she was able to bring her dance skills to the show. It, absolutely amazing. Um, Joseph Morgan, who plays C. Jack 60, uh, as well as Alden Aaron Reich, uh, who plays John the Savage, and Harry Lloyd, who plays Bernard, <gasps> a.k.a. Benny. <laughs> those, those who watch the show so, will understand what I mean when I say Benny. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? I want to know. Oh, OK. OK, that's fair. That's fair. I got to watch. I got to watch. That's fair. So, I mean, 
overall, it sounds like, and this is a conversation we actually had last week on the pod with Aaron Lacasio. I think it was with Aaron, right? My memory is going. It, oh, it was because we were talking about um, Annihilation mm-hmm. and talking about the idea of adaptations and pulling the spirit versus the exact letter and when you're adapting comics you know pulling like panel for panel versus trying to get at the themes and like you were saying remembering the word dignity and the themes that are uh evoked in the book and not necessarily feeling like you've got to just reenact you know it's it's a an adaptation not a dramatization so it sounds like there are some pretty i mean just the idea of the savage lands being a theme park is already pretty fascinating to me um that it's that feels bonkers yeah. Is is there any other kind of like change or move or twist that you, or would it be a spoiler? I feel like it sounds like I mean, a, a lot would be a spoiler. There's a couple that's not a spoiler. Like, I think it's very interesting because one of the things that, you know, we haven't really gotten a chance to see in any other adaptation, which is, is in the trailer, is like, you get to see this, this rocket uh, transportation that happens, which we haven't been able to see any other adaptation. So that's really neat. I think also, you know, this idea of we didn't really get to delve deeper into this problem of history. And Mm. I would say one of the things that I love, which isn't a huge spoiler, and because this is a TV show, you've got to have a great soundtrack. There is a a substantial amount of intention that's put into the music supervision of the show because it is a narrative tool. So instead of like there being Shakespeare, like, John has this old beat up star Lord looking MP3 player that oh, cool. he carries around with him. And, you know, there's this key moment that I'm, I'm not going to spoil where age of 17 is playing. <gasps> it's not out of that. It's not out of the speaker, but it's, it's out of, it's another space where like Stevie Nicks just comes on and starts blasting. And so I think that's, you know, I think that's something that really was a tool. And this honestly all of the the graphics effects works, the architecture, um, you and, you know, we talked a lot about it on the podcast about how that was built out, why it was built out, like the thought process that really went around building not just the form, but the function of both the Savage Lands theme park and, you know, this this iteration of New London. So we were talking about this before we started. Um, and when you're talking about building outside pieces, it made me think of it. <laughs> this is honestly, this is a tangent. That's just for me. Um, no, I think it's really fascinating. This idea that I'd never heard of, but it's so common in genre, this idea of ruin porn, which I think is really fascinating, especially like I, I wish I had more time to formulate this thought, but when you're talking about uh, an adaptation of something from the past. And then we've got it. We've got this, the like ruins of London. I'd never heard that term. And when you said it, it felt like uh, when you see those lists of things that are like, we don't have a word for this in English, but German, like the feeling for being lost in the middle of the woods is like for Kleinbenstadt. I don't speak German, um, but sure. That might be it. But, but when you said ruin porn, I was like, of course, like probably planet of the apes to an extent might. Mm. Yes. Yeah, like yes. that could be a if, real If you example. think about n- not the original Planet of the Apes, but like Planet of the Apes 2 and, and, and 3 and like the, the deep under, like when you get into the temple and you meet the folks who are yeah. like worshiping the, 
the nuclear warhead situation. Somebody out there is like, it's an atomic bomb. Or like The Walking Dead, like all those shows that sort of take place in like a post-apocalyptic. So I don't know. Can you talk like it's it's ruin porn of London? I guess my question is, do we see this feels like um, a trick? Is it London? This is my roundabout way of asking when the show is actually set. Is it like set in our future or is it set in some like undefined future? So it is set in our future. And I will tell you that the causes of the downfall of man are very different. And I, they are actually rooted (laughs) all puns intended. If you've seen the show, uh, they are rooted um, in some of the issues that we are dealing with now, uh, particularly with, you know, climate change and the environment. So, you know, it is definitely something to pay attention to and the juxtaposition not to do too much spoiling, um, that lead to you seeing uh, what is the ruins of old London um, is something also very different. Because when you think about Brave New World, you never really talk about the old. And there is a specific decision to build above without the population questioning any of that. Because in their minds, they don't know that it exists. So you have to remember, like, the population as it stands right now is not taught to think, it's not taught to question, it's not taught um, to be individuals, it's not, it all of that, like, you know, and there's, you know, very stark moments that show you this very quickly. They're not taught to feel and they're taught that love is not a real thing, right? And so any attachment to anything should not exist, right? Like, and if you even go back to the source material, they're taught not to fear death because they all stay, because you don't actually, this is the other cool thing of Raven the World. You don't know how old any of them are because from the source material, they're all kept at a prime age of 35 Hell for 100 yeah. years. One year left. <laughs> Once they Sorry. hit 35, they stop aging and then they are put into a soma coma at about age 100 and they just are allowed to go into paralysis and die from basically an overdose like that that is the concept and then they're like yes but we don't fear death because then your body becomes phosphorus and it goes back into the world for us to use as it like it's it's this cycle and so the juxtaposition of that history because one of the other cool things about this adaptation is that there are a lot of gender bending roles, which I love. So like Mustafa Mond is a black woman played by Nina So Sanya, um, as well as um, you mentioned Hannah John Common. She is actually playing um, Him Holtz Watson and it's now Wilhelmina Watson, AKA Helm. Uh, and while they have feelies, it's a whole new level up because of this idea that it is our future, which means you had to, like, you had to up the tech significantly from the source material. So the podcast is A Brave New Pod. There are how many episodes? Three, right? You're going to do three episodes packed with celebrities, with creators. Um, There are going to be, just like you were talking about, massive conversations about themes and the making of the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts on July 20th. So it's available, all three episodes. 
that Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I mean, it's a fascinating book. The adaptation sounds amazing. And obviously, uh, Angelique is a wonderful host. So everyone should um, please binge the show, then binge the podcast uh, on Peacock. Available now. All nine episodes. (laughs) All nine episodes. Go Go, do it. Go, go, go. And that's it. That is our show. Thanks so much to Alexis and Angelique for stopping by and talking to us about the news in Brave New World. And guys, it's time to crown the winner of the week. And this week, the winner is the letter A for Angelique, Alexis, and Adaptations and a Brave New World. It's the letter A. Also, I'm not going to lie. I've got a baby at home and every baby book is like the letter A did this, the letter A. So that's, that's part of my motivation. But this week it is a very Sesame Street kind of ending. It's the letter A won the week. (laughs) Oh boy. Next week, it'll probably be, if I had to guess, uh, some piece of news coming out of San Diego Comic-Con inspired, if I had to guess. So to find out who wins next week, please subscribe rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts, be it Spotify, be it Apple iTunes, be it somebody drops an MP3 recording of a podcast off on your doorstep every Friday morning, you don't know how it got there, but you listen and you're entertained, whatever it is, subscribe and listen to us and follow us at Sci-Fi Wire for all of your social media needs and concerns. See you next week. 